All right, so where are you going to open your Bibles to tonight? <laughs> no, close. Hebrews 11 is where... I'm going I'm to tell you two places to open your Bibles tonight. So open it up to Hebrews chapter 11 because we're going to start there. But then we're going to go whoa, whoa, all the way back into the Old Testament into Joshua chapter 2. Because we're going to be looking at somebody that shows up in Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. And that's also where they show up in Scripture. So Hebrews 11, we've been talking about this idea that little things are big. And the reason we've been talking about this idea is as we've walked through Hebrews chapter 11, we've got what's considered the, the faith hall of fame. And as you look at the individuals that are listed out in that chapter, our mind tends to think about the big things that God did through their lives. You've got Moses and Noah, and you've got all of these other individuals that are named. And we think of these big, gigantic things that God did in and through them. And sometimes that tends to be our tendency is that we want God to do big things in our life. And we sit back and we're like, God, I need you to show me what is the big thing you want me to do? What is the big thing you want me to accomplish? And yet, if you look at their lives, what you begin to see is it's not the big thing that they were focused on. It's the little things that they were focused on. And God was able to use those little things, and those little things were big to God. So what we've got to do is, is change the way that we think. That if God is going to use us and God wants to work in our lives, we've got to learn how to be consistent and trust him in the little things so that God can do what God wants to do. And we've seen that play out in a couple different ways. We've talked about this idea of obedience, obeying God's word every single day of our life, learning to, to trust God's plan for our lives when it doesn't make sense. Or what we talked about last night, even being willing to sacrifice for God. And we're not talking like Old Testament animal sacrifices the way they did it then to cover sin. We're talking about being willing to give things up so that we can honor God with our life. And sometimes that's popularity. Sometimes that's relationships. Sometimes that's stuff. But what are we willing to sacrifice for God on a daily basis to be able to really pursue Him? And for some of us in here tonight, what we see in this passage is the idea of courage. Anybody in here ever have trouble having enough courage? I mean, let's, 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 let's be honest here. Guys and girls, I'm not going to single out girls on this one. How many of you need courage when a little spider runs across your floor to go do something about that spider? How many of you run across the room screaming because you don't want to be anywhere near that spider? Okay, there's a couple. I know some guys that have done that too, all right? Or, guys, guys, and don't raise your hand but there's that girl you think is cute. But you just can't quite seem to find the courage to open your mouth and talk. Okay? So, hey, hey, every one of us in some shape or form finds a time in our life where we lack courage. Maybe it's a spider. Maybe it's talking to that guy or that girl. Maybe it's one of a hundred different other things. But courage is something that seems like such a little thing. If I just had the courage, if I just had the nerve, if I just had the boldness, I could do this. And yet when we look at courage and we look at who God is, what we see is that God uses that little thing when people will show that in their life. When it comes to God, God wants us to have courage to live out what we say we believe on a daily basis. And that's not always standing up in a room full of people and talking about who God is and preaching from the Bible. Sometimes that's just 
stand and not for somebody who's getting picked on. Sometimes that's just having the courage to say, hey, that really wasn't nice. Or hey, that really wasn't funny. Or hey, we really shouldn't be doing that. That courage is a little thing, but that little thing is big when it comes to God. And we see courage all over the life of a lady by the name of Rahab. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's two verses, 30 and 31. This is the only time I'm going to ask you to do it, but if you would stand in honor of reading of God's word, we're just going to read these two verses. Let's see what it says. Let's focus, gentlemen. Hebrews 11, 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish when those who were disobedient because with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. God, I pray right now that as we spend time looking at your word tonight, help us to understand what it is that we need to learn from the story of Rahab, from the account of her life and how she lived out her trust in you and the promises that you make. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So in case you hadn't guessed, we're jumping forward just a little bit from where we were last week, okay? Last week, who were we looking at? What Old Testament person did we look at last week? We did do Abraham and Sarah, but not last week. Moses, yes, we talked about Moses last week. So we talked about Moses, but now we're jumping ahead, okay? So let, let me give you a little background on what's going on here. Moses has led the people of, of God, the Israelite nation, out of Egypt. And he's leading them to a place called the promised land. So what God said is when the people came out of Egypt, he said, there's a land I'm going to take you to, and it's going to be your land, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. Moses has led them in that direction, but the time has come now that Moses has died. He's gotten old. He's died. So a guy by the name of Joshua has taken over as the new leader of the Israelite nation. And what we find out here is that Joshua has taken the nation of Israel towards this land, this, this uh, promised land that God had told them about. But Joshua doesn't just take the people in and say, hey, everybody, it's yours now. Because when they got there, guess what? There was already people there. They couldn't just walk in this land like it was an abandoned field and mountains and everything and it was free for them just to take it over. It's not like when, when, when we settled in America and people just kept moving west and moving west and, and we said, hey, there's nobody living here so we're just going to take that land. Well, in America, there were already people living there and we took the land and it's the same kind of thing that's happening here. They go into this land and there's already cities there. There's already civilizations, but God has said, this is going to be your land. So they have to actually take over that land so that they have what God has promised them. And that's exactly what that verse, those two verses there is talking about in Hebrews. They come to these cities and they've got to overthrow these people and they've got to take the land that God has promised them. And the one that it's talking about right there is the city of Jericho. Have you ever heard the account of how Jericho fell? How did it fall? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. That's part of it. They, they marched around the city. God said, march around the city seven times. And when you hear the trumpet blow, everybody yell. And the city walls will come tumbling down. That's exactly what it's talking about right there in verse 30. But it says there in verse 31, it mentions a woman. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
You see, what, what Joshua does before he goes to Jericho and tries to take over the city, he, send, he sends two spies into that city. Because Joshua's a good leader and he doesn't just want to walk his people blindly into this battle to try and take over the city, not knowing what's going to happen. So he sends two spies in and those spies go in to check it out and figure out exactly what's going on. And that's where we pick it up in Joshua chapter 2. Because in Joshua chapter 2 is where we see these spies actually coming into the city and where they encounter Rahab and what happens there. And that's where we start to see the courage in her life play out. So in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, it says this, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So you've got these two spies, they come into Jericho, and it's in this, two, this town that these two men encounter this woman named Rahab. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Rahab at this point. In fact, she only shows up three times in Scripture. She shows up in the verse we already read in Hebrews. She shows up right here in Joshua chapter 2, and then we see her again in Matthew chapter 1. There's not a lot about her in Scripture, but what we do see in these passages are the, is the courage that she has that leads her to act. She's got courage because she's got hope and faith in something that gives her the boldness to do what needs to be done. Now, we're not told here why these spies choose to stay with Rahab. Ancient practice would tell us that because of her profession, her house would have been a place that would have been used as an inn or kind of like a hotel where people who were traveling through would stay and then leave town. So that's possible why they might have stayed there. But whatever the reason is, remember, they're spies. They're trying to keep their presence secret with what they're doing. And yet that doesn't happen for very long. Look at what it says in verse two. It says, and it was told to the king of Jericho. Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So the king of Jericho, they're not there very long. And the king of Jericho finds out where the spies are. He's, he figures out they're staying with Rahab. And you need to understand something about Jericho. When, when it talks about the king here, our, our mind typically goes to thinking of like the king with the crown over this huge land or this huge country. But in this time, in this area, this is an area called Palestine. And, and these, these areas, these were actually what they were called city-states. So it would be like Kingsland had a king and St. Mary's had a king and Woodbine had a king. I know that sounds crazy, right, that we would have that. But that's exactly the kind of scenario that's going on here. So it's not a king over this big, huge area. It's a king just over that city. So it was pretty easy for them to find out what was going on. It, it's kind of like this. When something big happens in Camden, most people find out about it pretty quickly, don't they? It's that small town kind of mindset. And that's what's going on here. The king has found out that these men are hiding. And, and what he does is he sends to Rahab. He says, I want you to hand them over. I want you to bring these men who are spies 
and I want you to bring them to me. And what does she do? She lies. That's exactly what she does. Now, whether that's right or wrong, Scripture doesn't speak to that. But what we see here is this, this, this is like mission impossible type stuff. I mean, look at it. You've got spies in a foreign land. You've got the leader calling for them to be brought and to be imprisoned here. And, and then you've got this double agent who's keeping their secrets. That's, that's, that's like a good movie plot going on right here. Yeah, I like that. But that's exactly what's happening here. This is, this is real life espionage happening right here in Scripture. Guys, what Rahab is doing, this is an act of treason against the king. She is, she is going completely against what he's telling her to do. She is making the choice in this moment, in this instance, to take the allegiance that everyone assumes she has to the king and to her people. And she's saying, no, I'm going to pledge it with these spies. And I'm going to pledge it with their people. She's committing treason. And what we see here is we, we see courage in this moment in the life of Rahab. Courage because if she's found out it could cost her her freedom. It could even cost her her life. But she's doing this because what Hebrews chapter 11 tells us is that she had faith. By faith, she made that choice. She has the courage to honor God by hiding these men, and it puts her at risk. That's important for you and I. Because there's going to be times where we need to have courage. And by having that courage to choose to follow God, to be obedient to his word, to do what would honor him, it's going to put us at risk. It's going to put us in a chance, like we talked about last week, of, of losing relationships with people that we care, people that are about, people that we love. It'll put us at risk of losing opportunity. Maybe it's a job promotion because you refuse to do something that your boss wants you to do that you know doesn't honor God. We're going to take chances when we decide to have the courage to make a stand for God and what we know to be right according to his word. And that may put us at risk, but God always holds us in his hands when we find ourselves in those situations. We don't have to be scared. We have the opportunity to have courage the way that she had courage to honor God with those choices in her life. And by doing so, she changes the course of not only her life, but the life of the entire Israelite nation. Because think about what would have happened if she had said, okay, king, they're right here in my house. This whole thing would have played out differently. They wouldn't have been able to go back to Joshua and the nation of Israel and say, no, we can take this land. God, God has given it to us. We have confidence this is going to happen. But she makes this choice to honor God, and by doing that, she allows God's plan to be carried out. Now, that's not to say God couldn't have found another way to do it because he's God and God's going to do what God's going to do. But this is how he chose to do it because this one woman chose to have courage. And then it says in verse 6, it actually tells us how she hid them. It says, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Does anybody in here know what flax is? Anybody? F-L-A-X. Nobody? What's that? Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's stalks of flax. Well, it actually says it right there, stalks of flax. Yes, absolutely. So here's, here's what that is. 
during that time and in that, that area, that culture, the roofs were, were typically flat. And flax is a, it's a plant that says stalks of them here. That flax was used to make linen. So that would go through a process of wetting and drying that plant. And through that process, they would get the material to make linen. So it would have made perfect sense that she would have had these things laid out on her roof. Perfect place to hide these men. And that's exactly what she does there. And it fools everybody because look at what it says in verse 7. It says, so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the king's men, they leave, they go out where they think the spies have gone, and now the gates are shut behind them. And you know what that means for the spies right now? What's that? Who said, who said they're trapped? Somebody said it. Sounded like it anyways. They're trapped. They've gone into this city. Remember, this is a walled city. That's how the whole thing gets taken over. The walls crumble down. They are now inside this city with the king looking for them, and the gates have been closed, they are stuck here. They can't just sneak in and sneak out the way they came in before. This is a big deal. They're being tracked down, and their lives are at risk, and they're trapped inside this enemy territory, and this is not a good place if it were not for the courage that Rahab has. These men would be in serious trouble. Now, up until now, we're not told the reasoning behind why Rahab was doing what she was doing. But we start to see that very quickly in verse 8. Look at what it says. Before the men lay down, she came up to, the root, to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now we get a glimpse into what was going on behind her actions. Now we get an idea of where her courage came from. You see, what we see right here is that it amazes me because when God works, people know about it. That's exactly what's happening here. Rahab is telling the spies, we have already heard about what your God, the Lord God, has done. We've heard about how he parted the Red Sea. We heard about how he, he, he made those other kings crumble, how you devoted them to destruction. Then it says the entire nation is scared because they've heard about God's greatness and they're frightened, even though they've not seen any of that happen. The people in Jericho, they weren't there when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. They weren't there when the other kings fell and, and God's people destroyed them. They didn't see any of that, but they've heard it. And because they've heard it, they're scared. I love this because there's, God's got a mental game going on here. God's used what has happened and he's gotten into the heads of the people of Jericho and they are scared to death of who he is. And that matters for us because for you and I, there's a lot of times that we don't have the courage to do what God calls us to do because there's a mental problem. Because we've decided already we're not going to be able to say the right words. People are going to laugh at us. 
People are going to make fun of us. We're going to mess it up anyway, so we might as well just not even try. And we don't have courage because we've already given up here, so we give up here. That's not what Rahab did. Rahab has heard all of those things. She has heard everything else that her countrymen have heard. And yet, in the midst of them being scared of the nation of Israel and the God of Israel, she has courage. Because when it comes to following God, guys, we have a choice. We can have courage and boldness and do the things that honor Him, or we can shrink back and keep our mouths shut. And yet, Scripture tells us when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that we are not given a spirit of fear. Scripture says that the Spirit of God comes and dwells within us, and it's not a spirit of fear. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That means you can have courage to stand for God no matter what you face, because the hope that is in you is in Christ and not yourself. It was hope. It was faith that caused Rahab to have the courage to act as she did. And it's that same hope and that same faith and who God says He is. It's the same thing that she expresses in verse 12 here. Look at what it says. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. Then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab had a hope in the God of Israel. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us here that she put her faith and trust in Him the way that we talk about that. But she does talk about God's power. And she is putting her, her hope in God's power. And she's hoping that by what she's done, her actions are going to lead to the salvation of herself and her family. When, when she acted and hid these spies, she had absolutely no guarantee that they're going to make this promise to her. She had no idea that she was actually going to receive salvation from the destruction that the rest of her people were going to experience. And yet that same courage saves her life. It tells us this as we read through in verse 15. It says, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. Remember? Spies hid. King's men left. Gates were closed behind them. So they're not getting out the way they came in. They had to go out a window in the city wall. And it goes on to read this. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But 
If a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. If you go on and you continue to read in the book of Joshua, you see that the city of Jericho fell. And because of Rahab's actions, because of the courage that she had, and because she did what they told them, told her to do, she took that scarlet cord, that scarlet thread, and put it out of her window. She was saved. And so was her family. But the kicker here is that's the last time you ever hear about Rahab in the Old Testament. It's kind of like when you're watching a movie and you've got this character who pops up and they play a pivotal role in the movie and then they disappear and they never show up again. But the difference is that's not the last time we see Rahab in Scripture. We actually see Rahab in Scripture in Matthew chapter 1. Because in Matthew chapter 1, the very first thing you see there in that book is the lineage of Jesus Christ. And as you start reading through that lineage, you see the guy who we know as King David, the guy that killed Goliath, Rahab is his great-great-grandmother. And that same lineage leads all the way down to Jesus Christ himself. You, you want to talk about a picture of courage leading to God doing something. You want to talk about a picture of the gospel playing out in the Old Testament. God took a woman who was living a life in open sin, open defiance to God, living a life as a prostitute. And because of her hope, because of her faith, he picked her up out of the life that she was living in and grafted her into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Because that's what God does. Because God takes us when we turn to him, when we put our hope in him and our faith and our trust in him and we give him our life, he takes us out of that sin that we are trapped in and he grafts us into the bloodline of his son. Because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. He shed his blood on a cross for you and for I and for me. Because that's who God is, because he keeps his word, because he does what he says he's going to do. And all of that happened in the life of Rahab because she was willing to have a little courage. So my question for you tonight is this. Courage can so often seem like such a small thing. But when it comes to God, courage is big. What do you need the courage to do tonight to honor God in your life? What is happening in your life what conversations have you shied away from? What things have you given all of your attention to? What is happening in your life right now? You just need a little bit of courage from God to help you honor Him with whatever that is. 
want to tell you right now, and it's the same thing I told you last week. When you ask God, God will give you what you need. He will not always give you what you want. Most times he's not going to give you more than what you need. But he will give you what you need. And for some of us in here tonight, what we need is we need courage. We need courage just to live out what we say we believe on a daily basis. We need courage to be that one person in our friend group that takes a stand for what we know is true and what we know is right. We need courage to be the young men and the young women that God had called you to be when you put your faith and your trust in Him. You may be sitting here tonight and you've lacked the courage just to hand it all over to God and say, God, I'm going to follow you from this day forward. God gives you that courage. You may be here tonight and you may be lacking the courage to say, you know what, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus, but I've never made it public. I've never told people and you've never followed through with believers baptism and you are scared to death to get up in front of a crowd and tell people what God's done in your life. And yet scripture shows us time and again that God will give you the courage to do just that, to make a stand for him anywhere at any time. What is it in your life? What area do you need God to give you the courage to honor Him? Ask Him for it tonight. Trust that He will give it to you. And then look what He does through it when you trust Him with that little thing. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus God, we thank you that we can see who you are. God, that we can find hope and, and, and know that the gospel of Jesus Christ shows up all through Scripture because it's all pointing to him. God, I pray right now, right here tonight, help us to have the courage to follow you. Help us to have the courage to take a stand no matter where we are. Because you've not given us a spirit of fear. You've given us a spirit of, of boldness. A spirit that cries out your name. God, help us not to just blend in to everything else that's going on. And look like everybody else. And sound like everybody else. Help us to have the courage to take those bold steps. So that people will see you. Help us to trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.